Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition. This is the Picard edition. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone. We are back. We are here to discuss the recent episode of Star Trek Picard, season three, episode two, titled Disengage. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the studio with me, as usual, is Ensign David Sabal. Hello. Hello, everybody. All right, Dave. Were you excited about this episode? I was. I was excited, especially afterwards, because we get another solid outing. You know, when it comes to building the building up this season, mm-hmm. I think I think Terry Matalas is actually on a really Matalas. 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 <laughs> Terry Matalas. I, I keep Matalas. <laughs> Matalas. Yeah. We have to learn how to pronounce this gentleman's name because I feel bad because I had thought that he was a fellow brother. Like I thought, <laughs> exactly. I thought he was Hispanic, you know? So I was like, okay, well, I know how to pronounce Spanish. And I thought it was Matalas. So I'm, I'm calling him Matalas. And now we find out like less than a week ago, yeah. it's Matalas. Well, and I'm embarrassed a bit because he listened to our show and we're calling him Matalas. <laughs> I know. That's why it's like have, old habits are really hard, especially since we've been calling him Matalas for like a year now. <laughs> yeah, here's his name right here. My, my name is Terry Matalas. Uh, Matalas. I had but, to Google it because someone shot me a message saying, I think you're saying his name wrong. I'm like, no, nah, bro, it's Spanish. <laughs> it's Spanish. <laughs> it's not. But sometimes our ignorance shows on this show. I'm Believe it or not, David. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, just a little bit, just a tiny, tiny little bit sometimes, but we may get names wrong, but we never get our Star Trek wrong. <laughs> I can't say that properly. No, no. <laughs> Listen, you're dealing with 15 years of canon. Sometimes we fuck up. Exactly. It's hard to keep track of everything. Yeah, we are. At le- we can at least say, Mike, we are passionate about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. We're not we're, we're, we're not going to quote unquote hate on Star Trek all the time. But we are very passionate about Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, very passionate. <laughs> Just like I'm passionate about seven and nine. Oh, who isn't? Dude, Jerry Ryan, The more, in two episodes, I really want to see a series led by Jerry Ryan. Well, dude, what have we been saying since season one? They needed to realign seven of nine with who she was in Voyager. Yes. And since Metallus has taken the reins... He has slowly realigned this character to to be in sync with the character from Star Trek Voyager. He's done an amazing recovery job on a lot of characters that a lot of a lot of Star Trek fans want to give up on. The subtlety is back. Jerry Ryan is as an actor is good at what she does. Yeah. And I'm just I'm not a fan of everyone wanting to be bad or wanting to be a badass. It was kind of my feelings about the last episode. I didn't get into it because I I don't feel like it was that big of a deal to go into a whole diatribe about it, but it was like, listen, Gates McFadden, you're a doctor. Everybody wants to be a badass with a gun. And I remember that was, that's what was hitting all the blogs. And that's what she was talking about in interviews. I'm like, I get to do stuff I've never done before. You're not a badass. Yeah. What is wrong with just being a smart character? Why does everyone need to be a badass? If Jordy LaForge comes in with two phasers, you know, double wielding <laughs> phasers, I'm going to fucking say something. I'm like, come on. Exactly. Can somebody just be happy being a normal Starfleet officer? Not everyone needs to be fucking Rambo. You have to understand who your character was, but more than that, you got to understand what their whole job was. <laughs> yeah. I'm making jokes. I didn't have a problem with 
Dr. Crusher. I love that character and I do oh, not I have Dr. a problem with that. Yeah. And, and it's not like we haven't seen her take control before. In fact, there was an entire episode that I actually really loved from Star Trek, the next generation days. I forgot the name of the episode where she becomes the captain of the enterprise. And it's a great episode. It shows her ability to, to lead. It was a moment where the writers allowed her to flourish a bit rather than always being in that back room, you know, in, in the, in sick bay In sick bay. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. As long as that's not who she is through the entire season this year. Well, if she's just this character that has a grudge, a chip on her shoulder, then we're dealing with the same equation we dealt with in the first season of Picard, where you can't just have a character that is just that a person, a regular person. That's a human being like you and I, not everyone picks up guns and starts blasting people and has to prove they're a badass. And I know I'm getting a little bit out of the realm of our show right now, but it is something that we see a lot in movies. We do. A lot of women actors, because they've been pigeonholed, and I understand, because they've been pigeonholed for so long in specific roles, it's the nature of Hollywood. It's the nature of, of decades, decades of television and movies that have created gender stereotypes and how women should be portrayed and how men should be portrayed. But now... There's backlash because of that. And we see how every woman now who returns to like, let's say a movie gets remade or it's rebooted. They're no longer who they were. Were. They're now basically a man. Yeah. They have to change him into a more masculine, they masculine masculine traits. And like, the thing is, is like, I think what, especially in this particular season, what I'm seeing with, with the character of Beverly Crusher, what I'm hoping if she turns into something, something I don't, like that, I don't think she will, but as long as you give us a story, why there you go. Why, why this progression narrative reasons, the narrative reasons, because yep. the problem that I've always been harping about the problem with seven in series one, there was no build season. No, or season one was there was no explanation there. It, well, it was just, there, she was here. There was, but it was very it was, flimsy. It was very, very flimsy. And it was it was almost like brushed aside. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's because of this. Yeah. Okay, so we don't see any character growth. She just immediately flips a switch. Well, but there was no there was no build up. There wasn't not enough background. Not enough background. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, I mean, since the first se- first uh episode, I think that as long as they basically Keep us engaged with this story and mm-hmm. explain what Beverly has been doing for the past 20 years. Give her a, a valid reason why she, w- she left the crew. I think you have something really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And the, the Jack Crusher stuff was very interesting. Now we know that that briefcase on board Dr. Crusher's starship was not her husband's or her former husband. It was her son, her son. How weird is that? We find out in this episode that it's Picard's son. Yes. But she names him after her deceased, her husband. deceased husband. That's got to play a big part, right? Oh, when, that we, has when we to. start exploring the, the whys and the hows and what happened, who is this child? Why did she feel the need to run away for 20 some years to raise this kid, obviously on her own? That has to be explained, right? Oh, it has to. I mean, do you now think you... it's going to be more aligned with what you were talking about last episode? Even more so, yeah. Like her feelings this. towards Picard, how she's never quite forgiven him. Yeah. For she's... the death of her husband. Death of her husband. Look, I put, I put the pieces out there and people thought I was crazy. You mean to tell me that basically she is just going to brush aside the fact that her, her entire story started off with the death of her husband and yeah. then day one, right? Day one. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, she loses. She, her son vanishes. He doesn't vanish. David, quit he saying does. that. No, he, he does. He's in nemesis. <laughs> there are some things that can be explained by logic. And if, and if Wesley Crusher, you said this, I don't know if you said this on the show or you said this on the pre-show for Patreon, but Dave, he didn't just vanish. I think logically we can assume that at some point he said, Hey mom, I'm a, I'm a traveler. That's why I came to, to Deanna Troy and Riker's wedding. 
I don't think he did. That's the story that I think I'm going with is the fact that you don't think he actually went to the wedding when he was there. No, no. What I'm saying is he, it's never explained to Beverly. It's never explained to okay, Beverly. So what he vanishes then David, do you not think they had a conversation logically? You don't think he said, Hey mom, I've been away for a while. I think, I think we might go there. That's stupid. If they if do it that, is. that, that's a reach. If, if it is, it's going to be a big reach. I said that in the last episode, it's going to be a reach. What, Wesley but, Crusher, Picard did nothing but do right by Wesley Crusher. So for that to be a story would show us that the writer currently has no understanding of the relationship between Wesley Crusher and Picard, which was a strong relationship. And it was a mentor and protege relationship. He broke every single fucking rule to put a child on the bridge in order to accommodate. So I don't feel like he ever did anything wrong. So if they try to say that, that he did something to Wesley, that's Wes, think- Wesley. He even saved Wesley from court martial when he was doing hijinks at the Starfleet at the Academy, Starfleet Academy. That got people killed. Yeah. So not only did he, teach him how to be a Starfleet officer and take him under his wing and essentially be a pseudo father. He also protected him from his very, from, from mistakes that he probably should have faced the music for. That's why I'm telling you, I think we're in for more story pertaining to that and something, probably there's some pent up frustration on Beverly's part about Picard's treatment of her son. Hmm. I think it might go that route. Because I can't, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say you're wrong, especially, especially with if, but if they do, David, it has to make sense. They can't, they can't deconstruct what was obvious yes, in they can't the next de- generation. They can't, I hope that they won't deconstruct it, but they have to now explain it because, so you mean to tell me she has another son without anybody, any of the crew knowing. None of the crew has even known that Jack, Jack yeah. Crusher existed. Okay, so a few things. It would feel like they're mimicking Jerry Ryan's or Seven of Nine story from the first season. However, it seems like the idea behind whatever they're doing is they're essentially trying to solve the injustices going on within the galaxy. Yes. Okay, that's the same thing that Seven to Nine was doing. Now, my big problem with that is that it says something about Starfleet and the Federation. Fortunately, yes. And I don't know if I like that because then you're once again undermining what the Federation and Starfleet stand for. However, there is room to delve into that type of story because if you go back 20 years, and we use Star Trek, what was it? Insurrection, I believe, where the villain in that story pointed a finger at the weakening powers of the Federation due to the Dominion War and the Borg attack. Yes. So if things have gone crazy in the universe, people are doing without, and it has caused former Starfleet officers to leave the ranks in order to do things that they can't do. I would be okay with that because it would make sense based on the political fallout of the war. Not that Starfleet and the Federation have lost their values and their moral compass, but because they don't have the power or the resources to do certain things. And that's why you have the Fenris Rangers, AKA seven of nine. Mm -hmm. That's why you have Worf doing what he's doing. In fact, we'll get into that in a second because he said a few things in an interview recently that will shed some light on exactly what is happening with his character this season. It's not spoilers. It's just clarity. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, what we're seeing with um, with Jack Crusher and Beverly Crusher in this episode, if if we're dealing with that still, the, the political fallout of a weakened government I'm okay with that. As long as they're not pointing fingers at Starfleet and the Federation again, as if they have lost their way. Yeah. Because you gotta, uh, I don't want that. Dave, do you want that? No, absolutely not. But I do want continuity narratively for my Star Trek universe. Yeah. 
we're coming off of so you so you're saying that that would make sense then it would make sense if that that fallout is the catalyst for many of these many characters. of these characters changing i mean even picard look at picard breaking ranks essentially that was the the premise for the first season and where he was at was and why starfleet wasn't really happy with him because what did he do he didn't listen to them and he helped the romulans yeah when starfleet didn't it's not that they didn't want to. It's because they had no what resources to, to assist in the migration of the people to a new, to a new home. So if you take Picard and where he was at in the beginning of season one, and then you take seven to nine and what she was doing prior to season one. And now you have Dr. Crusher and Jack Crusher doing their thing as well helping to fix the injustices or injustice. Suddenly we have character continuity. Yes. All of them were doing something that the Federation was unable to do. Yeah. That works. And it would, it would make sense narratively when you put it into context with what we know as Star Trek fans, you're coming off of a gigantic war from Deep Space Nine from the Dominion War. And people didn't watch that didn't watch Deep Space Nine, because believe it or not, there are a lot out there. There is. That was a major thing. Oh yeah. That was a gigantic thing. That was a major thing. It also put a spotlight or a lens over the Federation and their dealings and what they're willing to do to defeat this horrible threat to humanity. Oh yeah. I don't want to say they were morally compromised, but there were moments that definitely veered in that direction. Oh, so uh, all the time in deep space. Nine, when you think of like the, all the stories they did that entire series, the more I've rewatched that, that entire series, Mike, it's I begin perfect. to, yeah, it, well, not just that it's perfect, but one of the overall stories is the price that you have to pay. Yeah. That's the, that, that is one of the biggest, story arcs that I've, I've started seeing in my rewatches is like the whole story of deep, deep space nine is how far are you willing to go to win a war? That's kind of what Picard feels. Picard feels like more of an extension of deep space nine. It and does. I, and I saw yeah. some people complaining about that saying, well, this should be more uh, written within the tone of the next generation. And I would agree with that if we didn't have deep space, deep space nine, nine and Voyager and Voyager come afterwards it was a very different world when next generation ended. It was a very different story world. Well, especially when space nine picked up. It was very different. It was D space nine. In a lot of ways, D space nine challenged the very, the validity of Federation ideals. Yeah. And they posed questions. And, and I do how much, how much compromises do you make? Before you no longer are what you are supposed, are to, supposed be. to be. When do you throw out your, your ideology that has secured peace for hundreds of years that sent humanity into a new golden age. Now, suddenly that idea, that way of life and the things you do to make sure you can up, uphold that way of life. What do you do when it is threatened by an outside Force, like the Dominion that was purposely trying to undermine the very being of the Federation. And that's what D space nine did. It answered that question. Oh yeah. And I, I understand that statement that you made about like how fans have stated it should be Picard should have been written more in line with TNG because TNG ended with such a, high and hopeful, uh, very optimistic, feeling, yeah. uh, very optimistic feeling. Mm, yeah. But, but fans have to understand there are series that came after that, yeah. that continued the story of the universe forward. I mean, even the movies felt the effect of the dominion war. That's what I liked about, about like the later movies was they started throwing in that continuity that basically the yep. dominion war affected everybody. Insurrection and nemesis were both products of that post Dominion War. Yeah. That's why the tone was very different in those films. And same thing with Picard now, bringing it back. The reason why Picard feels this way is because in a lot of ways, they're still dealing with the aftermath of that horrible war that shook mm -hmm. the bedrock of 
the Federation. Think about it. 20 years isn't that long. No. Look at 9-11. And I, I point to 9-11 because it's probably the, the worst thing that's happened in this country, specifically on, on American soil in the last 20 some years. And there's still political fallout from that event. There are still people trying to wrestle and understand what happened. Exactly. There are still people living with the, the causality of that event and how it affected their life. So it would make sense that the tone of Picard would fit more in line with what Deep Space Nine was doing. Yes. All right. So we got answers on Jack Crusher. <laughs> he is, in fact, well, at least we're led to believe right up now, to this moment, up to this moment, we're led to believe that he is Picard's son. And the question, as you were getting to, Dave, is why? Why was he hidden? And what did Picard do? Was he a bad lay or something? Did, did he finally seal the deal and then Dr. Crusher bailed? <laughs> was like, he worse than the Irish ghost yeah, that she had? Did she ghost him or did he hit it or and hit it and quit it? How do you not know? Was it just a one thing and done? Nine months later, here comes a baby and Picard's nowhere to be found. So I want those questions answered, which obviously they're going to answer those questions. It's a big one. And I hope it's sad. I hope it's a sad it has answer. To be. It has order to be for, something that resonates and it hits Picard. In order for it to be, I am going to ghost, not just Picard. You got to understand not she didn't just ghost Picard. She could, she ghosted everybody, Riker, Troy, all the TNG crew, Beverly Crusher just picked up her bags and gave them an Irish goodbye. Yeah. So that's, where I agree with you, David, where you say it has to be something big, big. I do agree with that. I don't like the whole Wesley Crusher aspect because it just doesn't quite fit, at least in my mind as of yet. But the idea where you're coming from, that there's got to be some animosity there. Yeah, there's there has to, to be something. There's got to be some reason why she chose to just run. And I don't want it to be like she was under attack. She was threatened by someone. I feel like that would be a little strange for no one to seek her out. There's got to be a reason exactly. why they let her go. And that's the thing too, is kind of like, it has to be something major. And that's when my, my brain started thinking is like, okay, what are major reasons a person would actually do that to, to actually just drift away for 20 years? There has to be a start point. Well, and do you think it's like uh, Dr. Carol Marcus syndrome? Like she just simply didn't want her son to be a captain in Starfleet. This is what I'm more uh, slightly worried about because again, we're treading on familiar waters. Like we're, we're, we're essentially taking the same storyline of Captain Kirk and pasting it onto Jean. There are definitely some intertextual aspects. And I'm worried that they might do that. Now, if Terry Matalas, Matalas, <laughs> Matalas, <laughs> If he can continue on the story, fine. If it works, go for it. Mm -hmm. Just don't, I'm worried that he's treading on two familiar waters that basically people will just like, it, it'll fall flat. Well, also it's gotta be sad for this is it's, they have to be very careful because we have to understand it from both perspectives. We have to, we have to sympathize or empathize with Beverly Crusher. Yes. And we also have to empathize with Picard. So they got to find a middle ground, meaning we have to be able to understand both aspects via narrative reasoning. And one way they can do that, or I should say, and the reason why they need to do that, David, is because to me, if that was me, forget the fact that, A, I would want to know my son, okay? But also, B, she knows she was close to him. She's got to know how he felt about the death of his brother and his and nephew. His nephew, yeah. And how it affected him and his idea of no longer having any other Bacards and that he's the last one and how a legacy and, and allowing this, this family lineage to continue that's been around for hundreds of years to just fall apart because of his own unwillingness to have a family for Beverly Crusher to then run away with a child. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So they're going to have to find a reasonable explanation as to why we can get over it as fans and yes. not be mad at, at Beverly, at Beverly Crusher. 
So I'm anxious. I do like it. I do like I do like my melodrama. And I do too, especially since it ties so narratively well to what originally, as funny as it sounds, one of the bright spots of season one was Picard lamenting about his legacy, talking about what is his legacy about. One of the, Did he my, do that in the first season? Yeah, that was in the first season when he talks remember. about when he talks about being the last Picard. When he I has that, that when was he was that that was in generations. No, 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 no. We're talking about in the very beginning of Picard mm, season one. I don't remember when he's uh, making the speech to the new uh, oh okay. to the new cadets. Okay, I vaguely remember. Yeah, yeah, and he's talking about being. I'm the last one. I'm the last one of my family to, to be able oh, to do this. All right, Dragonheart. <laughs> <laughs> but like the. I like the fact that they've they found a way to bring that back and bridge that narrative forward and kind of tie it in. Now I'm just worried that do you think they would go the route of killing Jack? Like what they did with Kirk's son? No, because A, that would be okay, in, in movie form it worked. In movie form for it worked. What, for what they were doing and how it was more about Kirk and how it would affect him. And retrospectively, when you look back and how it essentially built out his characterization, Captain Kurt's characterization, and it became the embodiment of his character dealing yeah. with this death. And it stuck with him and actually exacerbated his prejudice towards Klingon. So it oh, yeah. mattered. It was such an amazing story aspect to add to a character. So that retrospectively worked beautifully, that death. Yeah. This character and the way he was introduced is very different. And if you were to kill him in the very season you introduce him, you have to question, or I should say you have to ask, what was the fucking point? Exactly. And that's what I'm also worried too, is they might not, they might not kill him off, but they might go, no, he's not real. By the end, you, uh, the big twist is, oh, he's not really his son. He's actually someone else's son. I don't like your son. <laughs> <laughs> Riker's been busy. <laughs> he, he's all Beverly. Is this like I'm gonna wake you up from your coma right now? I need to know. Is this mine? Is this mine? Is this mine? <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucked up. Okay, so to answer your question, Dave, this isn't um, a spoiler because it's been out there on the interviews. But it seems like the writers of Picard may have future plans for Picard's son. Yeah. Now I had been theorizing that they will find a way to always bring Picard back because he's now in a synthetic body. Dude, I loved it when though, when Vatic brought that up, we'll get to it. Oh yes. God. We'll I was so it. happy. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. But it does seem like they have some plans outside of Picard for this character for Jack Crusher. In a recent interview, the actor Ed Spellers or Spilliers, Spilliers. I, I want to say, spellers. yeah. He had mentioned that he talked to Metallus for a very long time, and this character ha had been gestating, and their plans for you know the whole eighteen months of prep for this season. And he said that he's got a lot of ideas about it, about this character. I'm not going to lie because I'm proud of the fact that Terry and I discussed this almost every day for the last 18 months. What could happen? He pitched this particular story and narrative to me as if it's, and I think he grew in this assumption as we went along that this is almost like Jack's origin story. So you don't give a character an origin story unless you have future plans that far exceed 10 episodes. There are definitely more stories to be told. That's a key point. Yeah. If we're given the opportunity to tell them. So take that how you want it, how you want to Dave. But I, I, I think that's a, a clear indicator that he does not die. Yes. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing glad from that. Yeah. I'm glad. I, I don't like when you bring in characters just to kill them off because you're trying to create emotion I feel like that's a way to cheat the audience. Obviously it happens from time to time and it does work, but I don't know if a show like Star Trek needs those types of gimmicks with the, with the amount of history we have with these characters. Do we really need to introduce a new character so you can then rip them away to create emotion? The emotion's already there. 
that the history of these characters are already there. We're dealing with people who have known each other for so long that the emotions are built in. Look at the final episode in the first season between Data and Picard. Yes. They didn't need to introduce someone new to create a moment like that. It's already there. It's, it's already, already there. built in to, to the legacy of those characters as well as the, the canon. And I think that's the thing I'm, I'm kind of worried about when I thought about the parallels that season three has with season one. I mean, in season one, we introduced Soji, who was Data's quote-unquote daughter. And he, she was supposed to be that bridge and the gap of the legacy of, the, of Data. Mm-hmm. Now Jack is kind of like in the Soji role where she, he's the pig, epitome, or he's the... Uh, Did you say pigment? <laughs> I can't think of the name. It's, uh, I can't think of the word, proper word to say it, but he's basically the parallel to Picard's legacy. He, rep- he represents Picard's legacy. That's okay. probably the best way to put it. Where where Soji was, was supposed to represent Data's legacy, so. It, it, but also, she's harboring <laughs> homicidal intent, and that just feels weird. Yeah, that just feels weird. See, yeah. and this Let's is not where, get in the first. This is where place, this some is, of those things. But this is like why I'm a little hesitant still about like season three is because like seeing the parallels, and I'm like going, is yes. Terry Matalas uh, is is Metallus, he Matalas? <laughs> Terry Matalas. Get it right. <laughs> is he is he just trying to make up for season one and try to no. correct the four or correct is, the correct the correct the road, so to speak? Or is he trying to do his own story? This is different. Jack feels like Picard. At least does, the young versions that we saw of Picard. We know Picard was an arrogant douchebag he said oh, he it himself was. yeah so to see that we have you know jack crusher is a bit arrogant and a little full of himself a little overconfident that is exactly how picard described himself as a young man till he had his accident right when he lost his heart against <laughs> he that nosigan for being an asshole for being an asshole maybe jack crusher needs to get his heart removed oh my god <laughs> that would be so hilarious if he if that happened perfect parallel i would i would picture showing up going Who? gotcha Q. Did you say Cuba Goody Jr.? No, no. I picture I picture Q showing up. Oh, okay. And where did you get Cuba Goody Jr.? You, saw, you said Cuba Goody, Goody Jr. Jr. I'm like, wait, he's no, in a no. show. <laughs> you got to work on your hearing nowadays. Oh but my God. Q, but I picture Q showing up and just looking at Picard, going, "Gotcha." That'd be awful. <laughs> D- David never write, never write for Star Trek. Yeah, but that's how I would write Q. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so a little bit more on the Raffi stuff. We touched on it a bit. Now, one of our problems with the first season, and and please, listeners, I, every time I say one of my problems, I get some message <laughs> from someone saying, "How dare you, sir? The first season was flawless." I, I'm glad you. <laughs> I'm glad you loved it. The yeah. first season was fun. I'm not saying it's not, but fun for you, <laughs> for me there was some problems with it. That, that's all with the execution, not the story, the execution. Maybe that's what we should say because it wasn't the story. The story was fine. It's the way it was executed in all seriousness. That, yes. That, that's probably the that. best way to say it. Yeah. So one of the problems with Raffi was that there was very little development on a character that was supposed to be front and center. And when they did give us development, it was very superficial and very oddly inserted in moments that were convenient. And you can't insert development or development development in an episode where you need it to matter. How you properly insert these aspects, and they're called narrative plants. You insert them far sooner than when you need them so that Mm -hmm. people don't say, well, that was fucking, wow. So you just introduced that so you can then solve a problem in an episode or explain away a problem that's not good writing necessarily so the way metallus is yet again realigning or not realigning because raffi's new um recontextualizing recontextualizing raffi's background in five minutes david exactly we understand her far better than anything shaban tried to do with her in the first season that with that weird scene between her and her son that made no sense. That came out of nowhere. There was no, there was no setup. 
and there was no closure on it. And it took way too goddamn long. It felt very strange. It didn't feel like it belonged in the episode at all. And it didn't really do much for the character. Whereas here in five minutes with a conversation with her ex-husband, you now find out why she's at odds with her son and what her whole fucking thing is. Her whole problem, drug abuse, which I don't think that was ever fully stated. Was that? No, it wasn't fully stated, but it was always hinted at. Yes. So now we get a definitive statement from her husband. And then another definitive statement from the Ferengi, uh, Sneed, or Snide, I, I don't remember his name. And we understand now what happened. She chose Starfleet over her family. I, David, I always say, proper, de- proper development doesn't always take 60 minutes. 60 minutes. Sometimes it takes five minutes. And that's what they did so well in this episode with Rafi. In two episodes, David, I'm more drawn to Raffi than I have been in the last two seasons. I find her more interesting. She has an actual point rather than just being a character that was, I didn't like what they did with her too much last season. It wasn't, it wasn't a deal breaker, but I also felt like she was just hanging on to seven as a secondary thought as a character. She wasn't that important in my opinion. It was more about seven, which it should be. Seven is a more, is a more beloved character. Um, but in this episode and last episode, they're making her really matter by giving her this separate storyline that no doubt is a narrative strand of the main myth arc that mm-hmm. will be brought in. So that all works. I love the Raffi stuff. And then you find out, David, biggest squee of all time, that her Starfleet intelligence handler mm-hmm. is the main man himself, <laughs> Worf. I saw him creeping up in the background. Is that? Wh- oh, when I saw that. Yeah. I was like, Is that Worf? And I was like, going, Oh, some fools are going to die right now. <laughs> Cause he just, he just sneaks up and then just as- assassinates everybody. What did I say off season? I said, why have all, why has the new era of Star Trek refrained from using the Klingon theme? Why? Oh my God. Yeah. And the fact that they used a variation of that theme when they move into that close up on Worf after he takes out those baddies, I clapped. Yeah. Because Worf in Star Trek probably has some of the best appearances to this day, David, I think my bet the best appearance of all time is when Worf is on the defiant fighting the Borg in first contact. Yeah. And you hear the Klingon theme. Yeah. And then he says, today is a good day to die. (laughs) It's such a great moment. And this isn't as good, but it's fucking close. It's close. What a great introduction to Worf, man. Especially this is a more, this is a more grizzled Worf. You could kind of tell. And it goes back to like what we said in the beginning of the beginning of the show about narrative continuity. This is how I kind of almost imagined Worf becoming after his time on DS9, where he's been he's been on that scenario of a, of a Cold War, do not trust anybody type of series, total war around him, one of the darkest points in Starfleet history. He's at the heart of center, uh, heart and center of that entire storyline. Yeah. I can imagine his character kind of drifting to like this, this point where it's like, he's more cautious. He's more basically, Hey, everything has to be done for a reason. We do things that Starfleet can't doing something with Starfleet intelligence seemed to fit. Well, we don't, we don't know if he's doing things that Starfleet can't because that would be section 31. And that's not clear yet. Now he's wearing the all black. He's all wearing the all black. And he, at least at the most, he's part of Starfleet intelligence. Well, well, yes, we know that that's pretty definitive at this point. We know that he's it's, it was heavily implied that he was her handler. And I'll be honest. Most of the characters from deep space nine, I've always imagined them becoming some point or another tied to Starfleet intelligence, not section 31 because they've been, if anybody was going to be section 31, it would have been Dr. Bashir, Dr. Bashir. Yeah. But like everybody else, I kind of, I kind of imagine them having some dealings with Starfleet intelligence with all of the stuff that they've been through. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know if I would, if I have the same opinion as you, I, I would feel like a lot of them are tired of war. That's why when they had put Worf in the trailer for Picard season three, and he said, I'm a pacifist now. I'm like that. Actually, that makes sense to me. A man that has seen so much death in his life to become different in his view of combat and war. Listen, you can be a pacifist and still be a warrior and still be a warrior. I mean, the samurai, I wouldn't say are pacifists, not even close, but there is a passivity to their, their spirituality and the way they think. So I don't have, I didn't have a problem with that aspect in the trailer. So I'm wondering how they're going to connect that now, unless that scene is simply a joke. I'm I'm wondering if I'm wondering that too is if 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 it's just done for funny uh, uh, funny moments, which is fine, which too. is fine. Now I don't have a problem with this with him doing what he's doing. There was a recent interview with Michael Dorn where he had said that he thinks that he thinks Worf should be a character like Jack Reacher or John Wick or the Equalizer, and not meaning a badass that goes around shooting people, but the idea, again, David, this goes right back to what we said about Picard, Dr. Crusher, and Seven of Nine. So Matalus seems like he is creating this narrative continuity in terms of the context, the historical context, chronologically speaking, in the world post-TNG leading into D-Space Nine and how the Federation has been weakened and possibly don't have the power to do the things that they used to do, like help certain marginalized species and people living in the remnants or the outer phrase of Federation space, because he said that he feels like his character is a character that goes around, not based on revenge, but based on justice. Yeah. He goes around helping people because of his need for justice. So he says, I always thought that Worf had a place in the show somehow, maybe not even lead, but just hold on. That's not what he said. That's what the interviewer said. Worf is like Jack Reacher and like Jack Reacher, the Tom Cruise movies or John Wick, where he's not out for, for revenge, but he basically goes around the universe making things right. That's where I think he'll end up. So if Worf is saying that's where I, or Michael Dorn is Michael saying Dorn. that's where I think he'll end up. I, I, I'm sure that's where he's going to end up. I think he, I think that's the, especially like with the, how they, that introduced him right now. It seems that way where it's like Worf is the type of person to basically just go out there and wander, wander and help people. <laughs> for some well, reason and if starfleet intelligence gives him that liberty and that, 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 that liberty that freedom to stretch his legs and 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 pick the missions or the situations and that, it goes with that with that idea that basically i really like that you brought up about him being more samurai-ish and Worf at that point could be kind of like a little a, a, a ronin you know a wandering a wandering person just wandering the land helping people because that's what, you know, the, the romanticism of being a Ronin or a samurai Ronin mm -hmm. is like. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like the heroes that just travel the countryside and help people who can't, who, who unfortunately fall under the radar. Right. And if they go with that route, I'm really excited to actually see Worf <laughs> because yeah. I think pairing him up with Raffi's story, especially with how Raffi... It's interesting with this, especially in this episode, because we finally get more concrete information on her motivation. That little conversation that between her and her ex-husband did so much for me to contextualize and understand Rafi's motivations now to the point where it's like, now I understand why she's with Worf. Because if you look at Worf and his entire narr narrative of how, like... His his warrior mentality. Yeah, that's how the, the it's going to transition over to Raffi, and Raffi's mentality that she's she made all the decisions she made. She thought she was doing it for the greater good, but she didn't understand that basically all those decisions that she make 
still affected those people that she and who, and who are you talking about? Her husband and, oh, and her yeah. son. Yeah. And that's why I loved about just spending that five minutes with that character just erased a lot of like the bad taste of that character. And that's why introducing Worf to her, I think, is another good step for that narrative. I'm still trying to figure out how they're going to tie that story with Picard's story. And that has me intrigued. I'm sure it's all connected. It You're, has to yeah, be. Yeah, it's not going to be some random story that doesn't It has to be, but it's together, like, yeah. the interesting thing is, is how are you going to merge it together? Well, you know that's, I mean? that's, that's what we're all waiting to see, right? That's why we watched the show. Yeah. We'll see what happens. One standout aspect, Dave, that I really appreciated, and um, please don't hate me, people out there again. I love Patrick Stewart, but one of my complaints since the first season is that he doesn't really feel like Picard. He feels like a shell of his former self. And perhaps in season one, you can arguably, you could say that maybe that was the point that he was a man that kind of lost his way a bit and uh, he needed to rediscover himself and, and realign himself with, with possibly a, a goal rather than just allowing himself to sit in his house and get old. I feel like that's a lot of what Metallus was trying to say in the second season with Q. Yeah. Viewing Picard as a disappointment, you know, trying to invigorate him by sending him back in time. Like, listen, I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to, I'm going to imbue you with some type of life again. You're just aging. What happened to you, Picard? You've gotten old and you've gotten comfortable. You're no longer who you were. You were the bright beacon within humanity. So maybe that was the point. And now here for the first time, David, he actually asserts himself and he feels like Picard. Oh, yeah. And I love it because everyone listens. The moment he raises his voice and he finally uses his authority as an admiral and takes control of the situation, what does Shaw do? He backs down. Shaw backs down immediately, sits in the chair and says, okay. And you can almost understand where Picard's coming from. Picard's never been that type of guy ever. We've seen it in Next Generation. He doesn't have an ego to where... We've seen it when Jellicoe took over. We saw it when the Admiral that he tried to feed crumpets to that didn't like his crumpets at yes. first. You know, we, we, he always tries to be diplomatic. And that sometimes means to let your ego go. So in a lot of ways, you can look at the last two seasons as someone who is just kind of realizing I'm not really in command anymore. I'm retired. I don't need to assert my authority. It's not my place. I'm not going to just come in here and be Captain Kirk because that's what Captain Kirk would do. Oh, yeah. When it, when it dealt with his son... With Dr. Crusher's son, he finally stood up and took control. I fucking loved it because that was him rediscovering himself yeah. in a lot of ways. Finding the old Picard that we all know, because like, just like you said, it'd be one thing if they went with that story that you mentioned about how he's a shell of himself. He doesn't believe in himself anymore. He's lost his identity. It's the fact that everybody since season one has looked down and kind of... De, uh, dehumanize Picard. Demoralize. Demoralize. Yeah. Demoralize Picard. In the first season. Especially, for sure. especially the way that it'd be one thing if it was like other admirals in Starfleet, but it was every single character. <laughs> every single character would treat Picard like he's a senile old man. Yeah. And I'm like going, that's not the Picard that we know. We know that he is the captain of the Enterprise. He can take control. He's just not doing it. Yeah. And I like the fact that two episodes, dude, we get the Picard that we want. Yep. We get the Picard that basically he has his motivation. now. His motivation is to save his son. Yeah. And that moment was so powerful when he all he. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> writers and directors that know that sometimes you don't need words. As soon as Dr. Crusher walked on the bridge, oh, dude, the Titan, that was good. Made was eye good. contact with Picard and he closes his eyes, becomes emotional. That was one of the greatest scenes so far in all of Picard. Yeah. Sometimes you just need 
David, subtlety. Subtlety. Subtlety is good sometimes. And it was so powerful and it said everything. You didn't need words. This was actually the one moment I think Patrick Stewart, his acting credentials come front and center. I agree. In front and center. Yep. Because there's no dialogue that needs to be said. You just have shout out Beverly, shout out Picard. Yep. Shout out Beverly. Just, shout re- just reactions, you know, just reactions playing off of each other's, each other's looks. And there's no melodramatic moment. There's no, you know, over the top melodrama. It's just, you feel Picard's emotions at that point when he's confronted with the fact that that's his son, whether he wants to admit it or not, then he comes to the realization. No, that's my son. Yeah. And I he have should, to do he something. He should have known it was his son. Picard doesn't miss. He never misses his target. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> Listen, he's the cutest. He knows how to assimilate. <laughs> he knows that probe. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Resistance is futile, Dr. Crusher. He cannot, re- he cannot refuse this English demon. Oh. <laughs> Or no, French. That's so gross. I'm going to cut that from the show. Okay, so we have to close out the show, so we only have a few more minutes. We have to talk about Captain Vadic. Dude. Okay, let's get past all the cool stuff for a second. I mean, the ship design, the the inside of the bridge, the production design is everything and more this season. I fucking love it. But the most important part, she knew Picard had synthetic had a synthetic, a synthetic body. body that has to play a part. Then if she knows that isn't everyday information, not everyone knows Picard died and got put into <laughs> a synthetic body. body. <laughs> That's probably privileged information when you really think about it. So that being said for her to know, and that's the first thing she brings up, not only should it play a role, but it has to play a role. The reason why I say it should Dave is because you know, we've mocked and made fun of that whole thing that Shea banned in the first season because it just felt very strange and odd. But what did we say? It's not that he was put into a golem body. It was that it was the fact that they completely threw out the potential, the potential of that yes. to delve into the finer details of philosophy, Cartesian philosophy, if you will. Mind, body, soul, what creates the human really? That was the problem we had. It was just this weird idea to keep him alive because you wanted to make him die the whole season. You wanted to trick the audience into thinking that he was going to die of this disease. Mm -hmm. And then you wanted to kill him so it'd be dramatic when we all knew he was going to be put into that sense of body body. (laughs) the moment it was introduced. Because we said it like, oh, they're going to, we didn't know he was going to die, but we had assumed that, you know what? This disease he has, it's they're just going to upload him into this goal. Into the goal. We could see it from a mile away. It was very hacky and very just weak. But if they, as Matalus has been doing for the last couple seasons, he's been trying to take, he's picking his battles here and taking various aspects from the first season and finding moments where he can clarify, flesh out, recontextualize, thereby fixing some of those weaker aspects from the first season. And the synthetic body is one of those weaker aspects that he can definitely use and flesh it out. And I hope it has a big part to play in this season. I hope so too. And this, this starts making me, making me think if they tie the synthetic body to the reason why lore shows up. Yeah. That's what, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because when you look, think about it, the two main villains besides Vatic that everyone knows that's going to show up is Moriarty and Lore. Lore and Moriarty are both synth- quote unquote artificial, 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 artificial intelligence. intelligence. The fact that Picard who has been the, a nemesis of theirs gets turned into a synthetic body. Yeah, exactly. So if they are still holograms or let's say, okay, think about this. This is sheer. We're putting on tinfoil hats right now, Dave, and you're going to love it because you okay. love these types. Yeah, of things. I do too. Morty Artie wants the technology for a golem body. Cause if he's still a hologram, he want and he wants to experience real sensation via flesh of some type. He wants that body. Yes. Lore. Also 
he was he, he was dismantled. I think his body was destroyed, wasn't it, or was it put away by Data? I think it, it was, was put, put away by Data. Okay, Data shut him down. Right. So perhaps somehow Lore's consciousness from his what's the name of his brain? Um, uh, the is it a uni- is it a matrix? No, it's uh, oh, what's it called? Neuro. I think it is near major positronic positronic the positronic mind that he has a positronic brain is what they call it. Let's say they upload that into Inagio Sung's body. Essentially Indeed. erasing that that would justify his age. That would justify his age. Yeah. So I, that is, I don't think that's going to happen. Although the Moriarty thing I think could happen if he is aligned somehow with captain Vatic. This could be that, okay? But David, we also have one last thing here. We got to go fast, okay? We have only a couple minutes. So I'm going to leave the listeners with that aspect there. Okay, next, we didn't talk about this during our last discussion because we ran out of time. But we also have the whole scenario with the red lady that they keep mentioning. Yes. Now, we didn't get into it, but that statue was of... Oh, what's her name? Uh, the character that was, I believe she was the captain of Enterprise C. Oh, um, uh, Garrett. Captain Garrett. Rachel Garrett. Yes. Okay, so, all right. The Enterprise C under Garrett's command responded to a distress call from the Klingon outpost at Narendra, Narendra 3, which was under attack by four Romulan warbirds. Now, this episode is one of my favorite episodes. It's essentially uh, what happens is time travel gets involved. There's a temporal rift. And you essentially get this universe from the prime universe becomes essentially a mirror universe. Almost Starfleet has now been militarized. It's a very different future because of Garrett's enterprise C crossing through the temporal rift. It messed up the timeline. Suddenly Tasha Yar is back on the bridge of the enterprise. She's alive. By the end of the episode, they send the enterprise back in order to fix time because Guinan was the only one that could recognize that something was off. Off. That the time didn't make sense. This timeline wasn't right. And she told Picard what needed to happen. Captain Garrett needed to be sent back with the enterprise C in order to fix the timeline. Tasha Yar, knowing that she was going to die and that she had no future, decided to go back. When she went back, she then had a child that became half human, half Romulan, who then became a bit of a villain during TNG. Yes. So we have that whole aspect. Will that come back? Or was the Captain Garrett statue being blown up with that recruitment center? Was it just for the sake of continuity reasons, you know, seeing a, a familiar name, a familiar face to get fans talking? Or do you think... It has something to do with that event. I think it has to do something with that event because the, especially with the, we are doing with Meta, we are dealing with Metallus and yeah. that dude loves his time travel. He shit. loves his time travel. And guess what? Vatic for some strange reason was really knowledgeable about not just Picard, but everybody. She even knew about like the, she knew about, Shaw and she had unknown technology and she had an unknown technology on her ship. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the unknown technology was the freaking, you know, tractor beam technology I that think she had. That's what they implied. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like she obviously had ties to technology that was not familiar to the TNG crew, which would explain possibly a tie to tra- time travel. Because her ship does not look like the normal ship that you'd expect, and especially around yeah. the around this time. Yep, her ship is completely different. Yeah, does not look anything like anything we've seen before. Yeah, so they they're, they're going to have to bring it back. So we'll see. All right, Dave, we do need to close out our show. We don't have time for final thoughts. Just give me your RMD score. My RMD score for this one is higher than the last one. Last week, I believe I gave it an eighty nine. I'm giving this one a ninety three. I'm beginning to feel more relaxed with this story and I'm really seeing one of the biggest things, Mike, that I took away from this. This is two episodes. This is what we get when we have an experienced television writer and a guy who knows Star Trek and a guy who knows Star Trek and a guy who knows how to show run versus season one, Michael Shaban, who did not have any, any experience at all. He had zero television. He had zero, zero television. He didn't, 
He was I a good. He was a good writer, supposedly. I still don't understand how he got the job because of his because of his reputation as a novelist. That was it. It doesn't make him qualified to write a TV show. Right. Just TV because show. you're good at one thing, it doesn't mean you're good at the other. The other. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, let's end this. Oh wait. You have to give your score. 91%. <laughs> it was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Man. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.